Would you open, if you have it, your copy of the scriptures to Romans chapter 6? We're going to be continuing in our uh, series through Romans. How many people have, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have them in the pews. Please uh, use that. How many of you have ever taken an Uber or a Lyft? Raise your hand if you've taken it. Okay, a good amount. Um, in case you haven't, or you're like Uber, Lyft, those are funky words. I don't know what that means. Those sound silly. Um, it is an app on your phone that you can use to write like hail a ride from some stranger who comes to where you are, and you get into their car, and they take you to where you want to go. Um, my wife thinks it's creepy. Um, I kind of agree with her, but I've done it. I've taken Ubers too. Um, it's interesting. So the way Uber works is, and Lyft, uh, they have part-time drivers. Basically, maybe there's some full-time employees, but most of the people that drive for Uber or drive for Lyft, uh, most of the time, it's somebody looking to make some extra money on the side, or, or maybe they have a, a, um, a little window here where they'd like to make some extra money. And because of that, like, the drivers don't last very long. Like, maybe there's some that last a while, but in general, they have a lot of turnover for these apps, and so they're constantly recruiting. Right? Uber and Lyft are constantly recruiting, so if you're looking for a job, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I know, like today, like, people are like, I'm not looking for a job. Like, there's, there's plenty of openings, okay? But Uber and Lyft are always recruiting, and I want you to notice like, the way they recruit. So we have it up here. This is from Lyft's website. Now, obviously, you can make money, and they say this thing about supporting the community, whatever. But the point that I want you to see is the way that they advertise is they say, be your own boss. Right? Like, come work for Uber come work for Lyft, you can be your own boss. And if you look at, uh, at Ubers, they have the same thing, right? So uh, deliver when you want to. Be your own boss. Deliver when you want to. I think these ads resonate with us, and, and they're not the only ones, right? There's lots of companies that advertise on social media or on the internet, and they say, hey, come work for us. You can be your own boss. And I think the reason that that ad campaign is successful is because we today love the idea of autonomy, right? Like we love as a society the idea of having it our way, right? This is Burger King, um, have it your way, right? And I think they've even changed it to be more progressive now. I think it's be your way, right? So not only can you have it your way, but you can be your way. Um, but anyway, we have this idea in our society that, is, that it says, hey, you can be who you want to be, you, you can be in control, right? You, you don't want anybody to tell you what to do or where to be or when to do it. In other words, like, our culture communicates to us that, that we shouldn't want a master, right? Like, our culture is teaching us that, that we ought to be the captain of our own vessel. But here's the thing. In Romans 6 today, we're going to see that autonomy is not an option, like, Paul is going to show us in Romans 6 that everyone, whether you recognize it or not, is serving a master. And the main thing I'd like you to see in this text that I believe that the Lord has for us this morning at East Brandywine is that cherishing Jesus as your master is an essential element. It is essential for Christian growth. Let me break that down for a sec. The thing we'll see this morning is that Cherishing Jesus as your master, loving that he is your master and your Lord is essential for Christian growth, and we're going to specifically talk about victory over sin. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. We're going to read starting in verse 15. 
Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that as we come to you in your word and you speak to us, Lord, would you humble our hearts? Would you allow us to understand and to hear your word? And Lord, as I speak this morning, I pray that any words that come from me might pass directly in one ear and out the other. But Lord, any words that are from you, from your word, I pray that your spirit would apply them deep in all of our hearts and they might produce fruit and change in our lives. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Paul's going to start his passage off with a question. He says, what then? The, what, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Now, does this sound familiar? Like if you've been with us for a few weeks, does this sound kind of familiar? If you look back at 6.1... Joe addressed the same question last week, a similar question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So our question this week is very similar to last week. There are slight nuances and differences, but ultimately the big question of chapter 6 is this. Does grace sanction sin? Does grace give me license to do what I want whenever I want? And what Paul is going to say is, is by no means, right? And, and here's their thinking, right? So the, the question implies two things. One, he says you're not under law, right? And you're under grace. So here's what the question could be interpreted as, right? If I'm under grace, if my righteousness is found in Christ alone, not my works, but his, does it matter what I do? Or, or here's a different way of putting it, right? It, he, Paul says we're not under the law. If I'm not under the law, right, if I'm not depending on my own works for my righteousness, can I do what I want? And Paul emphatically says, by no means. He's, he's like, no way, Jose, right? He's like, he won't even let us think that for a second, and here's why. Now, before we jump into 16, I do need to just help you understand. What he's going to do is he's going to use this picture of Roman slavery to help us understand the answer to the question. So we need to get caught up on that quick. Now, in Roman, 
in the Roman Empire, there were kind of three ways you could become a slave. The one we think about probably most commonly is that the, the Roman army would have victory in war, and they would capture soldiers and people and bring them back to Rome as slaves. And we think of parades coming through the town with these slaves lined up, and they'd be celebrating this victory and their spoils of war, right? So that was one way you could be a slave in Rome. The other is you could just be bought in the marketplace. But there was actually a third form of slavery that probably many of you have heard about, but we need to remember for this passage. This is called voluntary slavery. So here's the situation. If you were in Rome and you were extremely poor, extremely desperate, you fell on hard times, and, and you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to eat tomorrow, right? Or even today. Like, I have no roof over my head. I have nothing. I, I am vulnerable, and I am hungry, and I have no option. What you could do is you could go to a wealthy person and, and surrender your life, surrender yourself as a slave, to them and they'd be your master. And in return, they would provide provision and security to you. Right? They'd feed you, they'd give you a home, but you would do what they said because they were your master. This is the kind of slavery that Paul's talking about in Romans 6 in our passage today. And so this is what he says. Remember the question, right? Can I sin because I'm not depending on my own works? Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, of, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So what's Paul saying? He's essentially saying this. He's saying, don't you know how slavery works? Like, you guys are Roman citizens. You, you know how this works. If you surrender yourself to somebody, you are their slave, and so he, he's basically saying, when, when you surrender yourself, you are, are a slave to that person. And notice the two categories he gives. He says, you're either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And this is our first point this morning. All humans, whether they recognize it or not, all humans are either slaves of sin or slaves of God. You, you can't be both. You, you can't be neither, right? You, you can't be your own boss in this sense. Either, remember Romans 5, either you're under Adam, you're, or, excuse me, you're in Adam, you're under the law, you are cursed, and, and, and you are in sin, under the power of sin, or you are in Christ, under grace, and you are a slave to God. And that's it. Those are the only two options. And next what he's going to say is, hey, if you've trusted in Christ, like, like if you are a Christian and you are a believer, you've been saved, you are a slave to God. Look at verse 17. Paul says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about conversion. He's talking about that moment when you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of, this, of, this, of the sun, when you were saved from the kingdom of sin and brought into the kingdom of, of God. He's talking about this transition. Notice what he says. You used to be a slave to sin. Like, your identity before Christ was a slave to sin. But 
you became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So what is that? The standard of teaching to which you were committed. I, I think what Paul's talking about, simply put, is the gospel. You became, he's saying you became obedient from the heart to the gospel in all of the ethics that flow from the gospel. In other words, you became obedient from the heart to the gospel in all the ways that that ought to change your life and who you are. You became obedient to that. Notice from where? From the heart. In other words, what Paul is saying is it's, it's very possible to know the gospel. It's very possible to understand aspects of the gospel, but not be surrendered and submitted to the gospel. It's possible... Right? Remember what James says, even the demons know. Like the demons are really good theologians. Even the demons know. But Paul says, for those who are in Christ, you have become obedient from the heart. You have surrendered your life, your actions, your words, all of you, to the gospel and to Christ. And look what happened. Verse 18, having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Now it's important here to notice something. Paul starts verse 17 and he says, but what? Thanks be to who? To God. That's very important here. Right? We have to be very careful when we think of this because he says, but thanks be to God that you have become obedient from the heart, that, that you were set free from slavery to sin, that you've been made a slave to righteousness. In other words, your conversion, right, like you surrendered, you obeyed, but who did that in you? God did, right? Jeremiah prophesied of a time when the law would be written on the heart. Ezekiel prophesied about a time when our hearts of stone would be replaced with hearts of flesh, right? The scriptures talk about how our hearts are hardened and they need to be softened by the Lord. And, and what he's really talking about there is the spirit in dwelling us, Jesus said it like this, you have to be born again, right? You have to be born of the Spirit. And in response to that, when the Spirit comes in and softens our heart to the truth of the gospel, that Christ died for me, his death was for me, his resurrection was for me, I've died with him, we surrender our lives to Christ. We're freed from sin, and now we're slaves to God. reminds me when Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, he says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. What was that price? The price was the blood of Christ on the cross. Jesus paid that price on the cross to free us from the kingdom of sin, from the, the, the cruel taskmaster that is sin, and to bring us into the kingdom of God as slaves of righteousness. Now, at this point, I do want to just stop, because if you're like me, right, and you're probably not, you're probably way better, but if you're like me, all right, the idea that we would think of our relationship to God as slaves, like, isn't that a little bit funky to anybody? Right, like when we think about slavery, that doesn't sound like a good thing. In fact, it's a horrible thing, right, to, to sub submit a human to another fallen human as their slave is corrupt and wrong. In fact, it still happens today. Like human trafficking is a real thing that happens across the globe today. People are, right now, across this world are slaves today. And when we think about that, we should think that is a horrible, awful thing. And so here's the question. Why is 
Paul using it to talk about our relationship to God? Right? Why is Paul using it? And I think there's a reason. This fact brings me to my second point. Slavery is not a perfect picture for the Christian life. This is what Paul's actually going to say in verse 19. Slavery is not a perfect picture for the Christian life. Look, look at with me at verse 19. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms. I'm using this human picture of slavery. I'm using this metaphor, this picture of slavery. It's not, it's not a perfect picture, but I'm using it. Why? Because of your natural limitations. Right? Because of our fallenness, our hearts are wickedly stubborn. Like as soon as you have kids, you start to see just how stubborn they are and, and how stubborn you are. Right? Like they're a mirror just pointing out how stubborn you are. We, our hearts are wickedly stubborn and our minds are not what they could be because they are fallen. And so Paul says, I need to give you an example that's going to make this so clear that you can't miss it. It's not going to be perfect, but here it is. You are a slave to God. Now, why isn't it a great picture? Well, what did Jesus say? He said, my yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is what? Light. It is a delight to serve the Lord, isn't it? Like, like it is a blessing and an honor and a privilege to belong to Jesus. It is not a burden like slavery. And so Paul stops and he's like, hey, just so we're clear, all right, this is just a picture. It's not a perfect picture, all right? Being a servant of the Lord is not burdensome like slavery. Why does he use it? It's really, really good at showing the exclusive nature of our allegiance to God. When you're a slave to somebody, who do you belong to? Your master. Who else do you belong to? No one, right? So in that sense, slavery is a really good picture for the relationship, but in other senses, it's not so good. And so Paul says, hey, it's a human picture. It's not perfect. He also wants us to see in verse 19 that there, there's another benefit to using this picture of slavery, and it's that slavery to sin and slavery to God have something in common. Right? If he uses this picture, he can actually show us a commonality between the two different types of slavery. Look at the rest of 19. He says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So what do these two slaveries have in common? Because there is something in common, and here's what it is. In both slaveries, there is a progression that happens. In other words, sin is not static. Righteousness, sanctification is not static. Let me help you understand what I mean by static. Sin is never content. Sin starts small, and what does it do? It grows, and it grows, and it grows. It takes a foothold, and it grows. If you think about your life, and, and maybe you haven't had a life-dominating sin, but maybe you have. It started small, didn't it? Maybe it started just a picture and it evolved into something much more horrific. Maybe it started as just a conversation, 
that turned into something much more. Or maybe I'm just going to try this once. I'm not under the law anyway, right? I can do what I want. I'm just going to try it once. And, and sin takes a foothold and it grows. Now, what Paul's going to say is the same thing is true for righteousness. He, he's going to say that actually, as you present your slaves to righteousness, it, it grows too. And it leads to sanctification. Now, let me give you a picture to help you understand this, okay? Um, it's been a while, but I took physics back in high school, okay? And I think I took it in college, but um, no, I took chemistry in college. Anyway, I took physics back in high school. That's the point. And in physics, it, it, when you're learning about uh, kinetic energy, kinetic motion stuff, you learn about friction, okay? And there's two different types of friction you learn about. There's, there's static friction, and there's um, dynamic friction, all right? and, and all the physicists in the room are probably cringing, so I'm probably messing this up. But, but just bear with me, all right? There's these two different types of friction. And what we learn is that the coefficient of friction due to, you know, when, it's, when an object is not in motion, we call that static friction, is really high compared to the, the coefficient of friction due when it's um, in motion. We call that dynamic friction. Let me make it real simple for you, all right? You have a big box on the ground. It's very heavy, and you want to move it. When you start pushing, is it easy or hard? It's very hard. But once it starts moving, it's not so bad, right? It's easier and easier and easier as it's moving because what's happening? You're, you've switched from static to dynamic friction. And most of you are rolling your eyes because you're like, I didn't come for physics today. I promise you, this, I think this is helpful, all right? Paul is saying that both slavery to sin and slavery to righteousness is like that. In other words, it, the, the first time it's not so hard, but actually it gets easier and easier and easier and easier as we do it. And, and how does that work itself out? When we are faced with a choice and we are tempted, we consider in that moment which master we are going to serve and bow down to, right? Because Paul says here, he says, present your members as slaves to righteousness. That implies that it's possible as a Christian to present your members as a slave to sin. Like, that's still a possibility. Paul, or, or Joe talked about last week how sin's been defeated in our lives, but it's not gone. And so when we're faced with a temptation and a choice in that moment when we decide what we're going to do, we are deciding and we are thinking, I am going to serve this master or that master. Right? I, I, I'm deciding which one I am. And, and actually what happens is the next time I'm faced with that choice, it becomes easier because my character has already been formed and now it's easier for me to make that decision again. Let me just give you a really clear example because I, I can tell I've lost some of you. Imagine you're in a group of people, okay? And they're gossiping about someone. In that moment, you have a choice to make. Are you going to submit to sin, your old cruel taskmaster, or are you gonna submit to Christ in that moment? Are you gonna say, Jesus, you have freed me from sin, I belong to you, which means this moment belongs to you, which means what I do next belongs to you? And you have called me to love my neighbor as myself. Love one another, right? And in that moment, you decide to not engage in gossiping, but actually you decide, hey, I'm going to stand up for what's right, and I'm going to maybe even defend that person. Hey, guys, that person's not here. Let's not talk about this right now. Or, hey, what you just said, that was wrong. Here's what happens. What Paul is saying, here's what happens. In that moment that we, we state our allegiance and we make a decision based on our identity, our character begins to be formed. And guess what happens the next time you're in that circumstance? It's even easier to do right. And then the next time, it's even easier. And, 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 and as, you, as you move forward with sanctification, 
Your, your character in Christ begins to be cemented and formed. Same thing's true about sin. And so Paul paints this picture of how um, slavery to sin and slavery to righteousness, they are both progressive. They both grow. Now, I want to be really careful here, okay? I don't want to be too man-centered in my approach to this. Like, I don't want you to think that fighting sin is just a matter of saying no. Right? Because if that was true, like all of chapter 6, ready? Paul could have just said, don't sin. Like, if the way we fight sin is by just not sinning, Paul could have just said in Romans 6, don't sin. But that's not how it works. See, our battle with sin is rooted in our identity as slaves to God, and, and that all comes back to verse 17 where he says what? Thanks be to God who freed me from sin and made me a slave to righteousness, who freed me from the kingdom of sin but made me a slave to Christ and, and made me obedient from the heart, and I've surrendered my life to him because of what he's done in me, and now in this moment, I'm going to live out that identity because of what he's done, not because I'm some great person that can resist sin. In that moment, we are just acting on what's already true of us. Now at this point, remember our question. Like, I don't want us to lose track of the forest because we're focusing on a tree. Paul started this all with a question. Hey, if I'm under grace, if my righteousness is in Christ alone and it's not based on my works, I'm not under law, I'm not depending on my works for righteousness, can I do what I want, can I sin? Paul's gonna give us a, another reason why it just doesn't make sense to think that way in the next section. Look at verses 20 to 22. Paul says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Remember the picture Paul's using? He's using this picture of slavery. You submit yourself to a master, and what do you get in return? Yell it out. Provision, a house, security, right? Now, now I'm talking about the human metaphor, right? So if I was in a desperate situation, I went to a slave master, I said, hey, I can't eat tomorrow. Will you take me as a slave? He would give me food. He would give me a house. He would give me security. Provision. Yes? Okay. Paul is saying here that sin promises that too, right? Like, like sin promises provision and security and identity. It promises all of that, but what does it give? It gives death and shame and guilt. Sin promises fulfillment, it promises joy and life, but all it does is it destroys and it corrupts so many different categories in our lives. It, sin destroys our finances, in our relationships, in our diets, in our use of our time, and it brings sin, it brings shame and guilt and pain. Think about the things we want most in life. So I, I sat down as I was preparing, I was like, what are the things that my heart wants? And, and I'm sure there's different things on your list. But here are some of the things I thought of. Respect relationship and intimacy, control, I want some level of control on what's going on around me, I want pleasure, I want approval, I want security in my life, 
Aren't these some of the things that our hearts want? What does sin offer us? It offers us all those things that our heart wants. But it doesn't give any of them. It gives shame and it gives guilt and it gives pain and corruption and death in every category. And so the third point here is that freedom from sin actually allows you to look back at your old taskmaster and say, I see you for who you are and I see you for what you give. Paul goes on to say, hey, there's fruit from your slavery to God as well. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. There is fruit that comes from following the Lord. And if you have ever been stuck in a life-dominating sin and tasted the death that it offers, I am praying, like as I prepared for this message, I was praying that the Lord would free you from that so that you could enjoy the fruit and the life that comes from pursuing and following the righteousness of the Lord. Paul sums it all up in verse 23, and this is that iconic verse that most of us know. I hope it makes a little bit more sense now in its context. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's going to end with this one last comparison. He's going to say that the wages of sin is death. Let's think about that for a sec. How do you get a wage? You earn it. Here's how sin works. You get exactly what you deserve. What do you deserve from sin? You deserve death. But then he says this, the free gift of God is eternal life. How do you get a gift? You don't earn it, do you? In fact, if you did earn it, would it be a gift? Like if your parents gave you a Christmas present or if somebody gave you a Christmas present, and like, here's a Christmas present, now like do this thing for me. Would that be a gift? No, and actually this is the beauty of being a slave to God, and one of the reasons we should worship and cherish our, uh, um, him, and we should cherish the fact that Jesus is our master, is because we actually, as a slave to God, get gifts we don't deserve, which in this case is eternal life. And I think both of these things are now, and both of these things are future. Sin corrupts and destroys now. In Christ, we have life now, but there is also an eternal sense to this in that sin produces death eternally separated from God and in righteousness in Christ gives us life eternally with him. And so if you're in this room this morning and, and you're, you came in and you weren't sure which of these categories, you didn't even know these categories existed, that you're either a slave to God or a slave to sin, I want to plead with you that you would allow the Lord to soften your heart to see that you are a slave to sin and that is only leading to death, but that you would put your trust in Christ and that you would enjoy the life that he offers now. He is a wonderful master, worthy of being followed. So what do we do with all this? Let me finish with this. How, how do we respond to this? I have three things. First, and this is the point of the sermon, I hope that this passage will move you to cherish that Jesus is your master. Right? Like, let's put off this mindset, I have to be my own person, and I have to be who I want to be, and I want what I want when I want it. Let's put that off, because it's not even an option. We were slaves to sin, and now we are slaves to God, but we don't have a cruel taskmaster. Slavery is not a perfect picture. He is a wonderful master, 
And it is a privilege and a blessing and an honor to be his because he's given us this gift we don't deserve, eternal life. So I hope you will cherish that more. Second, I think if you leave Romans 6 and you haven't evaluated your life for areas where you're surrendering and, and, and submitting yourself to sin, I think you have missed something. Like, I think you need to walk away from Romans 6 asking yourself on the drive home the question, or even now, in what ways in my life am I living and it doesn't match with who I am as a slave to God? I, I have surrendered my life to Jesus, but in practicality, I'm still kind of surrendering this, this thing to sin. I think we need to ask ourselves, what is that? Maybe, or plural, what are those? And the last thing I have for you is very important, a warning, be careful. Be careful as you evaluate your heart and you start to think about these areas that you have not surrendered to Christ but you're still submitting yourself to sin. Be careful that you don't put yourself back under the law in thinking that, oh man, if I, mm -mm, I'm not really a slave to God because of this. I just need to surrender myself to Jesus on this thing, and then I'll truly be a slave to God. Like, like my identity is at risk here. Verse 18, thanks, or 17, thanks be to God. You were a slave, but now you've been set free and you're a slave of righteousness. That's done. That can't be undone. That's who you are as a Christian. And, and you don't pursue righteousness. You don't obey so that you could earn that. Right? The free gift of God is eternal life. And so as you evaluate your life, please, please, please don't put yourself back under the law as if you have to earn your position as a slave to God. No. Ask yourself this question. Am I obeying so that I could become a slave of God? Or am I obeying because I've already been made one? Does that make sense? All right, let me pray. Father, I pray that you would use these words and that you would apply them to our hearts. And as we leave, Lord, we want to just one more time worship you and say that we cherish you, that you are our master. Jesus, we love you. You are a kind, kind Lord, and you've given us so much that we don't deserve. Jesus, I ask that you would help us to evaluate our hearts. Spirit, would you please lead us in finding these areas of our lives that we have not surrendered and submitted to Christ and as Paul tells us, to help us to surrender them to you. But Lord, I do protect, ask that you protect and guard our hearts. God, please prevent us from ever thinking we have to earn our position as yours, as your slave, Lord. Lord, would you please just remind our hearts that you have freely moved us from slavery to sin to your own service. I ask that lives would be changed because of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.